Go with me to Philippians chapter 1, would you please? Philippians chapter 1. We looked last week at how Paul was able to maintain joy in spite of the great difficulty of being imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And we would call that a problem from outside the church, right? Somebody somebody comes along because you're preaching the gospel and throws you in jail, that person is outside the church. And they say, we don't like that, that you're talking about Jesus, we're going to put you in jail. That's what happened with Paul. That was a an external problem, an outside problem, outside the church. But in addition to those difficulties, Paul also faced problems from people who were inside the church. Does that surprise you? If you've been in the church for very long, maybe it doesn't, (laughs) right? Because sometimes we have problems with each other, right? We face problems from within the church. So as we return to Philippians 1 today, we're going to see how Paul was able to maintain his joy. In fact, Paul was able to maintain his joy not only in the face of outside opposition from outside the church, but he was able to maintain his joy even in the face of inside opposition from those inside the church. There were more troubles for Paul, more troubles in store for Paul, and and some of those came from within the church. And these troubles in particular, in the passage that we're looking at this morning, these troubles were from people who were actually using the gospel against him. Now, if you think that's incredible, it's in, it's here in the text. And you think, that's, how could somebody use the gospel against someone else to harm them? There were people who were actually doing that. Now, how should we deal with that? How should we deal with people and, or the problems that, that some people can create when they oppose us for doing what is right? How do we deal with that? How do we deal with it when, when it comes from within the church, from, from people who would name the name of Christ and say, I believe in the truth of God's word and I want to share the gospel with the world, and yet they oppose us when we're doing the right thing? How should we deal with that? How can we have joy when we even have problems with people who are from within the church? And we've been talking about this We started talking about this last week. How can we have joy when life is hard? And this is one of those times when life is hard. Take your copy of God's word, would you? And let's look together at the text. Let's see how Paul dealt with this kind of serious hardship. Looking together at verses 15 through 18 in Philippians 1. Follow along with me as I read. Verse 15, Philippians 1. Some indeed... Preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from good will. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then, says verse 18, what then, says Paul, only that in every way, whether in pretense, Or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. In John MacArthur's commentary on this passage, he writes this, One of the most discouraging experiences for a servant of God is that of being falsely accused by fellow believers, especially co-workers in the church. To be maligned by an unbeliever is expected. 
to be maligned by another believer is unexpected. The pain runs very deep when one's ministry is slandered, misrepresented, and unjustly criticized by fellow preachers and teachers of the gospel. That is precisely the situation Paul faced in Rome, where some of the church leaders in opposition to him were preaching Christ even from envy and strife. Now, you may not know much about John MacArthur's ministry, but he has had a prevalent preaching ministry, and he's been in the same church I know for well over 40 years. Preaching has been one of his, uh, one of the things he's most well known for. He's also written, and sometimes he faces a lot of opposition for what he says about God's word. And I'm pretty certain that he is writing here, when he writes in that commentary about this passage, he's writing here from the pain of his own experience. And I can agree from my own experience that being opposed from within the church or from those who, who once were a part of the church, the pain of being opposed by those who were in ministry with you or who are in ministry with you, that can be very discouraging. Now, this is a real-life situation. If you've not experienced it, you're likely to the longer you spend in the church. When, when someone opposes you from within the church for what you are saying and you believe you're saying what is right in accordance with God's word, what you are doing in accordance with God's word, this is a real-life situation for many faithful people in churches all over the world, and they're still facing this kind of hardship today. And what's so encouraging about this passage, and you might think, well, what in the world could be encouraging about that? I say what's encouraging about this passage, and there is something very encouraging about this passage. And that's what I want to dwell on this morning. There is something incredibly encouraging about this passage where there's a, 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 a real serious problem with people who are within the church opposing others within the church. Specific, specifically, they're opposing Paul, and they're doing it with the gospel. And it seems incredible when, when we stop and think about it for a moment, but, but they're actually using the good news of Jesus Christ to oppose Paul and make his pain worse, to make his problems more difficult. How can we face this? How can we find joy? There is something very encouraging in this passage that I think will help us because Paul was able to maintain his joy even in the face of this too. And as John MacArthur wrote, you would expect opposition from outside the church. We don't expect opposition from inside the church. So we might say, when I'm opposed from within the church, now I have a reason for a loss of joy. No, we don't. Not when we have our perspective corrected by God's word. And that's what I want to do this morning. Help us, let's help ourselves correct our perspective with God's word. Let's learn to apply the truths of God's word, which we find here in Philippians 1. And if I'm preaching to you this morning, I am also preaching to myself, because as I study this, I realize I need this, because I could easily get this wrong. And I have gotten this wrong at times. When I focus on the wrong thing, I want you to see this here. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but I can just tell you that if you get this wrong, you're going to be miserable and you're not going to know joy. And my kids probably get tired of hearing me say this. Ask me how I know. When I tell them to do something, I'll say, don't do that because that's a bad thing. Ask me how I know, right? You don't ever say that? You don't ever have experiences in your life where you say, I've been there and I did it wrong? Don't do what I did, okay? I've been here, and I could easily be here tomorrow, maybe this afternoon. Don't do it, okay? Let's not, let's not go there, because if we get it wrong, we're not going to have joy. Let's not do it. 
Let's do it right. So let's learn to apply the truths of God's word, which we find here in Philippians 1. And I see three keys to Paul's joy found in these verses 15 to 18. In the face of this hardship, in, in spite of this hardship, he's able to maintain joy. And the first thing we're going to look at this morning, the other two we're going to look at this evening. But this first thing is critical, very important. Before we get to the first of those three keys, there are three keys here to Paul's joy found in these verses that I see. I want you to note first that Paul identifies two groups of people. Look at verse 15. He identifies two groups of people who are preaching the gospel. Do you see it? One group is preaching from envy, right, and rivalry. The other group, he says, are preaching from good will. Now, let's understand this before we go too far. We don't want to misread what's here. We do need to understand the context and what's happening these troublemaking individuals, and there were troublemaking individuals who were, were preaching from envy and rivalry, these are not unbelievers, okay? These are believers. Paul is not referring to false teachers here. He's actually speaking of men whose doctrine was sound. They were actually speaking the truth. But their motives were wrong. Do you realize that you can do the right thing, the absolute right thing, and to everybody around you, it looks like you're doing the right things, but, but you could be doing them with the wrong motives? There is no mention that they are teaching a different gospel. There is no mention here that they're perverting the gospel, as is the case that we hear elsewhere of others who were perverting the gospel. We find that in the New Testament in, in several places where there were those who were perverting the gospel, and there are those who were de- denouncing them, but... He's not saying that they're doing this. Here in Philippians 1, and specifically in verses 15 and 17, and that is, um, let me note this here, because I read from, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and if you read from the King James Version or the New King James Version, you're going to think that I'm reading the verses out of order. Okay, that's the order that they're in 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 this translation. It's the way the translators thought they they ought to go, so they put them in that order in this translation that I'm using. So you're going to see that, The verses are kind of flip-flopped a little bit. But in in my verses 15 and 17, see here that Paul notes the reasons for the former groups preaching the gospel, all of which were wrong. Here are the reasons. What were the reasons? They had the now think about it. They had the right message, okay? They're preaching the right message, but they were doing it with the wrong motives. So I think we can safely say they had taken their eyes off of Christ. They had taken their eyes off of their one purpose, and that was to get the gospel out to unbelievers, to work together with other believers to get the gospel out to unbelievers. They were not living the gospel-centered lives for Christ. They were that they they should have been. They were using the gospel to serve their self-centered motives. And with that insight here, there's a warning for us that we too could be found guilty of doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Okay. Now, we, th- we think that we're always right, right? I mean, for one thing, I know I'm always right, right? And you know you're always right, right? And we could get our heads together, and we could find out that we disagree about some things. So how could it possibly be that I'm always right, and you're always right, and yet we don't agree about some things, right? <laughs> right? It's confusing, isn't it? So we're not always right. We're not always right, but we could have the right message but be doing things for the wrong reasons. And guess what? That does not, that does not please the Lord, right? That we, that we take the good news or we do the right things in ministry, but we do them with maybe 
our own agenda, our own reasons for doing them, our own reasons for trying to accomplish something. And with that insight here, there's a warning for us that we could find ourselves doing this. So note that Paul says first that they were preaching out of envy and rivalry, according to verse 15. They were not preaching out of sincerity, okay? Their motives were selfish. They were serving themselves with the truth. They were out to promote themselves. They were preaching the gospel of Christ, but from selfish motives. And they were intentionally trying to add to Paul's difficulty. He says in verse 17, they are thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. That was their thinking. Hey, hey, if we preach the gospel, we can make things worse for Paul. If we tell people the truth, it could actually multiply his difficulties. We don't like Paul. Now, I don't know what was going on here, and Paul doesn't give us a lot of specifics. There's no doubt that this can be discouraging, though, right? And we don't know exactly what's going on, but he's saying, look, they're, they're preaching from envy and rivalry. With a proper perspective, though, as we noted last week, with a gospel, Christ-centered focused, even this kind of hardship can be seen in a whole new light, and that's what we need to see. That there can be opposition present that we may not be able to do anything about, but with the proper perspective, with a Christ-centered focus, with a gospel mission at heart, we can have a changed perspective about even those kinds of problems that we can't overcome ourselves, that we have to put in God's hands and trust him to deal with those individuals in those situations and keep plugging away with the truth. We can, we can deal with that hardship, and we can find true joy even in the face of that. And we're going to see, we're going to see that from Paul here. He knows God is in control. We need to get that clear in our thinking. God is in control. God is not surprised by anything that we're enduring. He knows God is in control. He knows that even people who are trying to cause him harm cannot circumvent God's good purposes. Every good thing comes from above, right? We heard it this morning. God is in control. But I want you to note this. The other side of this is that serving with selfish motives is something we need to guard against in our own lives, and in our own part in the ministry of the church. It is easy for wrong motives to creep into our lives, and it can happen to any of us. It is easy for those wrong motives to show up without knocking at the door first, without announcing themselves. It is easy for us if we're not careful. It's possible to say all the right things. It's possible to say we believe the right things. It's possible that, that to others we appear to be doing the right things, but be doing them for the wrong motives. And this is so important because God knows our hearts, doesn't he? God knows our motives. Everybody else around us might be thinking, wow, what a saint. And God is you know, shaking his head going, he's going through the motions. He's acting out of selfish reasons. We need to keep our focus always on Christ and on being for the God, being, serving for the gospel of Christ. Always keeping our focus. Why am I doing this? I want Christ to be known. I don't want this to, to be uh, something that I practice so that I might gain or so that I might be self served for my own selfish motives. Oh, we need to keep that in check. So there were some people preaching Christ, but their intent was to add to Paul's difficulties. In this case... He knew they were trying to make it harder for him. We don't always know what somebody's motives are, do we? But we can rest in the fact that God knows, right? 
and he and, and we can rest in the fact and or be warned in the fact that he knows our hearts. And so let's be concerned about ourselves here. We don't know the specifics of what they were doing with Paul or toward Paul, but Paul gives enough information for us to understand that they were trying to cause more trouble for him. We ought not be those people. Shame on us if we are. If we're serving out of rivalry, if we're serving for selfish motives, shame on us. And may God correct our hearts and correct our thinking and help us see the light of day and start practicing the truth in love. So these people were preaching Christ, but they were intent on causing more hurt and harm for Paul. And in spite of all this, this is what I find so encouraging about this, in spite of all this, in verse 18, Paul was able to say, whether they preach in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Can you say that? Can I say that? Sometimes I haven't been able to say that. Because I say, ah, you know, if they're going to do that, or if they're going to say that, or if they're going to think that, boy, I feel bad. I feel sorry for myself. What about, what about looking at those problems that we face and say, I don't care what happens as long as Christ is proclaimed. Whatever comes, I know God is in control, and I want, I want the gospel to be clear. So whatever happens, I'm going to trust it to God as long as Christ is proclaimed. And Paul says, and in that I rejoice. I love that. I'm convicted by that, are you? I, we need that. Now let's look at how Paul could have joy in the face of, of the difficulties brought by these other people who were teaching the gospel, but doing so out of pettiness and for selfish purposes and even trying to do him harm with it. Here's the first key, and this is the one we're going to see this morning. The first key to Paul's joy in this situation was that Paul chose. He chose to focus on the love of others. Our perspective matters. What we choose to fix our eyes on makes a difference. It matters. And God gives us an opportunity to make a choice, right? We need to choose to focus on the love of others. That's what Paul was doing. Look again at verse 15, verses 15 and 16, where he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but... It's like saying, but that's not what I want to focus on. Some, yeah, they they preach Christ from envy and rivalry for selfish motives, but I don't want to fix my eyes on that. But others... From goodwill. They preach Christ from the bottom of their hearts from goodwill. Verse 16, and speaking of them, he says, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So they love the gospel and they love Paul. And they're preaching the gospel because they love the gospel and they love Paul. Paul chose not to dwell on those who sought to do him harm. He chose to focus on those who were preaching the gospel with more boldness because he was suffering for his own boldness with the gospel. He was suffering because he was bold, and they were looking at him and said, well, if he's suffering that way because he merely spoke the truth, that makes us more bold to proclaim the truth also. That's what we saw back in verse 14 last week where where he says, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord, by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And we thought about that last week. This seems contrary to wisdom, doesn't it? Wait a minute. If he's thrown in prison for speaking the truth, maybe we should keep silent. And they were saying, no, that makes us more bold to speak the truth also. So Paul was able to maintain his joy because there were those who were preaching for the right reasons. 
there were those who would partner with him for the right reasons. They, they were preaching out of love for the gospel, and they were preaching because they loved Paul. And they remained faithful, and they preached the gospel because they understood that Paul was in chains because of his defense of the gospel. And they refused to give up. They were with Paul. Even though they weren't with him in jail, they were with him. They were united with him. They were serving with him, ministering alongside him. And they understood that his imprisonment was an opportunity to support him, to encourage him, to show them how much they loved him because they were not going to stop preaching the truth just because he was in prison for preaching the truth. And he says here in verse 16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. That's what he's focusing on. He's focusing on the love of others. You want to know how to have true joy in the face of opposition from within the church? Don't focus on the opposition. Focus on the love of others. You see, they knew that Paul wasn't in prison because of a flaw in his character. They knew he was in prison because he served for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you suffering because you serve for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Look around, fix your eyes on and your encouragement, find your encouragement in those who serve with you for the sake of Christ. Those who love you, those who love the gospel. And the love that's mentioned here seems to refer specifically to their love for Paul. They love the gospel. They love the Lord Jesus Christ. But here they are. They're, they're like brothers in arms, brothers in bonds here because they love Paul. These believers had chosen to join with Paul in the preaching and the defense of the gospel of Christ. And that's what Paul chose to fix his attention on. And his joy seen in this letter is evidence of that. If you keep reading Philippians, you see his joy again and again and again. And this is why. This is one of the reasons, because he focuses on the love of others. He doesn't focus on the opposition. He knows it's there. He talks about it, but he doesn't dwell on it. He doesn't stay there. We better not stay there either. Otherwise, we're not going to know what joy is. And let me encourage you, let's not be these people who are the opposition. Let's Let's love one another. Let's serve alongside one another. Let's look around and, and say, how can I show that person? I love the gospel. I, will, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love them. And I'm serving alongside them to help them proclaim the gospel. Think about how you can do that in this place, in this ministry, in the, with these people. That's our role here, isn't it? To glorify God in that way. That is our privilege. These believers had chosen to join with Paul in the preaching and defense of the gospel of Christ. And that's what Paul was fixing his attention on, and his joy seen here is a result of that. Part of his joy results from the fact that he's not focusing on the opposition, he's focusing on the love of others. And I can personally say I also know that this is true from my own experience as your pastor. I noted it earlier, just in passing, but I know what it is to focus on the opposition. I haven't always been unopposed there are times when people oppose me and I've been discouraged by it and I've focused purely on that and I've been bitter and resentful and sour ask my family ask them how they know right we can get this wrong or we can get it right with God's help we can focus on those who love us and love the gospel and are serving alongside us and I can personally say, I also know that this is true from my own experience as your pastor. I have been greatly encouraged by the love and support of those who work together alongside me, not for me, with me, 
We work together. This is God's church. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is God's church, right? And we are laborers, co-laborers in Christ. And it is incredibly encouraging when I focus on the love of others, those who have joined with me, those who have joined with you, with one another, with the leadership of this church. That energizes me. That encourages me. Many pastors I know take Mondays off. I've never understood that. It's like I've got a couple of brothers who are pastors, a dad who's a pastor. My dad never takes a day off. But my brothers, they take Mondays off. I can't stand to take Mondays off because I leave Sundays on cloud nine, so to speak. I've, I've known the love of God's people. I've experienced it because we've been together here in worship. We've communicated with one another. And I am fully charged and ready to start Monday thinking about next Sunday. And I praise God for that because God has blessed me by giving a, a blessing to me through you. And I praise God for that. Have we had problems? Absolutely. We always will, right? Where there are people, there are problems. I don't want to be like the preacher who said, I love being a pastor if it just weren't for the people. Well, if there weren't any people, you wouldn't be a pastor. You wouldn't be a shepherd if you don't have people, right? I don't want to be that guy. I praise God that I don't have any excuse to be that guy. I praise God for your love. I praise God for your co-labor. You're bound, you're, you're bound together with me and I with you. And what a blessing that is. And it's a blessing, and I know the joy of it when I choose to focus on it. If I get it wrong, I can choose to focus on the few around the edges at times who have opposed. It encourages me greatly to know that there are those among you who are praying for me faithfully. That's an incredible blessing. And, and may I suggest that, that I'm not the only one who needs prayer. Look around and, and look to the needs of others and, and tell others, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for that need. I'm praying for you. Make it clear and pray with them. How precious. That's what Paul was focusing on. That's what Paul's fixing his eyes on. He's not thinking about those who are opposing him, trying to use the good news against him to harm him. He's saying, look, but there are those who are doing it out of love. They're proclaiming Christ because I'm in bonds, because they love Christ, because they love me. Paul certainly knew the joy that comes from the wonderful love and support of other believers, faithful believers. It certainly encouraged him. It certainly helped him to maintain his joy while he was in prison. I mean, just think of it. While he's in prison, he's in chains. And yet he knows there are others out there who keep plugging away with the truth, who keep, keep proclaiming Christ without fear, with boldness, because, because Paul has been bold. If he can be bold, we can be bold. And we too can take the news of Jesus Christ to others who desperately need to hear it. Paul certainly knew the joy that comes from experiencing the wonderful love and support of his faithful, the faithful believers around him. And you know what? Paul needed them. Do you realize that? Sometimes we think of Paul as some superhero, some super saint. I don't think he was a whole lot different than we are. Paul needed those believers. Those believers needed Paul. And let me just take this opportunity to remind you that you need each other. I need you. We need one another. That's the way God made us as a church. And not only do we need the gifts that God has given to other believers to properly function as a church, because we understand, don't we, that God hasn't gifted us all the same. 
if he's gifted us all the same, then we could all start our own churches of persons of one, right? (laughs) But we need each other. We come together because we're not all gifted the same, and God makes us a complete body of Christ under the head Christ with all those gifts serving together. So yes, that is true, and we need the, the gifts that others have in this fellowship to properly function. But we also need each other because our joy, our joy depends on our love. Do we love one another? We need to. We must. If we're going to be obedient to God, we must love one another as Jesus Christ has loved us. And our joy very often will depend on that. You can increase the true joy of of your brother or sister in Christ by loving them as Christ has loved you, as he gave himself to be a sacrifice for you. He didn't serve selfishly. He didn't serve with hidden motives. He came because we're sinners, and we need a Savior, and we need to be forgiven our sins, and so he was a complete sacrifice, the once and for all and total, complete sacrifice for our sins. Praise God. And that's how we're called to serve one another. That's how we're called to love one another. Yes, yes, I'm not, I'm not stupid. Well, I might be stupid, but, but I, I know that wherever there are people, there are going to be problems. I know that. I'm not saying that we're not going to have any problems, but I'm saying that we deal with the problems with a, with a Christ-centered perspective, with a gospel-centered perspective, that, that getting the gospel out is, is the main thing making clear who Jesus is and that we love him and he has forgiven us our sins and we are blessed forevermore. That's the main thing. And that unbelievers too can know this joy. That's the main thing. What we do with this place, this is not the church. This is a building we meet in, right? What we do with this place, whatever it is, we ought to want to glorify God in that. And especially in the decision-making, it's one of the one of the things you, you heard me present to you, here's some ideas of some things we're thinking about. Oh, that God would be glorified in the decision-making. If you ask me what I want, I want my answer to always be, I want God to be glorified. I don't care what happens. With Paul, right? We all need to look at this and say, with Paul, one way or the other, I want God to be glorified. Yes, wherever there are people, there are going to be problems because all of us are human, right? And we all we would all like to say, I failed. No, it's called sin. We all still deal with sin, don't we? That three-letter word with the I in the middle, right? We still deal with sin. We still fight sin. And we do still find ourselves at times working from impure motives. And may God help us see when we are. May God help me see when I am, right? When, may God help us identify those times in our lives when, wait a minute, why do I want this so badly? What do I, do I, do I want that so badly? Why do I want this so badly? How come I won't change my opinion about this? Because I have motives. Because I have hidden motives at times, right? And we find ourselves there. And may we pray together that God would help us see when that's happening in our lives, that we might humble ourselves before God and say, oh, God, change my heart and help me want to glorify you and not just get my own way. You see, instead of being discouraged by others when, when they fail us, let's choose to be encouraged by those who are working alongside us. There are many. Look around. There are many working alongside you in, in the gospel for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Be encouraged by those who are laboring alongside you, those who are loving you, and be one who loves others as Christ loved you. Being faithful, there are those who are around us who are being faithful to the cause of Christ along with us, and that should encourage you. That's what you should focus on. That's what I should focus on. May that be a challenge and encouragement to us today to love one another. May a passage like this be a warning sign to us that we don't want to be those who are, who are serving Christ because we are envious and, and we're pursuing some rivalry against some other believer. May that not be true of us, that we say, I, I proclaim Christ, but I'm, I'm hoping to hurt so-and-so. May that be a challenge to us. May that also be an encouragement to us today to love one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's fix our eyes on Christ. Let's find our encouragement from those around us who are being faithful to the Lord. There are many of you being faithful to the Lord, and in that I rejoice. Can you rejoice in that? You need to. You need to focus on those who are loving one another in obedience to God's word. You need to focus on those who are serving, not for selfish reasons, but are serving so that Christ might be proclaimed. And in that, using Paul's words, let us rejoice. That come what may, we're going to talk about this tonight. This is so important for us that just as we see it in Paul's words when he says this, let me just point at it. Verse 18, what then? What then? When he's talking about those who oppose him and those who are serving out of love, in verse 18 he says, what then? Or, I think more likely it's like, so what? And and we're going to talk about this this evening. He says, it's, it's like looking at the problem and saying, some are preaching out of rivalry, some out of love. So what? And we would say, but wait, they need to be corrected. And yes, but God's in control, and he's going to deal with those who are opposing, right? Serving out of rivalry. But Paul says, so what, as long, verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let that be, let that be our attitudes. Let's serve alongside one another. Let's love one another as Christ has loved us. And may we be able to use those words that Paul uses, and in that, as we proclaim Christ, in that, we find true joy. In that, we rejoice.